you would stand with me and open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. The book of Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 10 and we will read to verse 20. When you got it, say so. All right. I'll wait because there was a few less so's than those in the room. So I'll wait a moment. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to verse 20. When you got it, say so. There we go. That sounds a little better. You're still asleep, but it's okay. We're going to wake up together in a moment. The word of the Lord says this. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayers and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. For me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you so very much for your grace. Thank you for your love today. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness, God. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church, that we would not just hear what you're saying, but that we would apply it to our lives, that we would do it that we would live these truths that we will hear today, Lord God. May you be glorified, not only in the preaching, but in the hearing of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would use us to make great impact in our culture as we recognize, Lord God, the battle that we are in and that the victory is ours in you. Lord, we thank you for this and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, um, please raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline. Uh, that way you can follow along in the introduction um, of the sermon and you can take notes. Um, it's very important to me that you're able to take notes. And I want to apologize up front. As you can hear, I sound like a frog jumped in my throat. Um, and I, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, and so just bear with me. But um, I also want you not just to take notes, but I also want you to be able to share what you are learning with others, right? We are a disciple-making church, and so we are called to make disciples, and the only way that you and I are going to be faithful in making disciples is by teaching them what you are hearing in God's Word. And so one of the easiest ways for you to make a disciple is not to recreate something, not to do something on your own, but you can go ahead and simply sit down with someone, make an appointment with them throughout the week, and say, hey, let's sit down, let's talk about what I'm learning on Sundays. And a couple of things will happen, and one of them is this is that you will grow in a better understanding of the truth that you heard on Sunday. The one thing that I realize is that I learn more by being a teacher of the word than I do just by being a student of the word. 
And so when I have to teach somebody else something, it makes me dig a little bit deeper. It makes me go a little bit further than what I have heard, and it forces me to learn the material a little bit better. And so I definitely encourage you to do that, but also it will help you to be accountable to whatever it is you're talking about, because if you're talking about being a person who is living holy, being a person who is living a certain way, and you start sharing that with other people, then they're going to wonder, okay, you're hearing this on Sundays, are you living this? Right? So we need some accountability in our lives, and so that will also help us in that area. And so if you look at your outline here, most people live life as though there is only the now. One of the reasons why I put up, I used this video this morning is because we have to recognize that there is a battle that is going on. And a lot of times we look at our lives from the place of comfort. We want to be comfortable. We want to feel um, a, a certain way. But the reality is we have to recognize that we're in a battle. Uh, if you, you know, what we can see or sense is what we think about physically. Yogis, you know, those who practice yoga, I don't um, encourage that. But nonetheless, um, yogis teach their practitioners to be in the moment. Yet, we are taught in the Bible that there is a spirit realm that is unseen, that impacts the physical realm we do see. Let me say that again. We are taught in the Bible that there is a spirit realm that is unseen, that impacts the physical realm we do see. And so what we realize is from Scripture is that there is a battle that is going on around us. You may not see what's going on. You may not see what's happening. You may not feel what's happening, but you can see the effects of what's happening around us. You look around our world, you can see the effects of the things that are happening around us. So mindful or not, sensitive or not, Christian or not, engaged or not, there is a battle going on for our souls, our destiny, and ultimately the hindrance of the gospel. So whether you realize it, whether you acknowledge it, it doesn't matter. There is a battle that is going on, and we have to recognize that. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. The enemy has made his choice to seek our destruction. We must choose to be armored up. The enemy has made his choice to seek our destruction. We must choose to be armored up. He's made, he's made his decision. He is going to come at us full force, full throttle with everything that he has from the culture to the negative ideas to the temptations that come our way. He is going to come at us. He has made a decision long ago. We see this from the book of Genesis chapter 3 when the gar in the Garden of Eden where everything was beautiful, everything was perfect, everything was wonderful, and this serpent begins to come around. And what does he do? He immediately begins to attack the character of God, attack the word of God, and tries to do what? Cause man to turn away from God and experience destruction and death. God promised what? To Adam and Eve. He told them, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. So what did the enemy want for them? He wanted death for them. I want you to know something. His plan and his desire for you hasn't changed. He wants death for you. The Bible says, Jesus said that the enemy comes to do what? He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he comes to do. That's, that, that's his goal for your life. He doesn't want you to live for the glory of God. He doesn't want you to have the abundant life that God has. And listen, abundant life doesn't, abundant life doesn't mean rich. Are you here? Abundant life means that you are living a life that is beyond anything that this world can offer you. You're living for the world that is to come. You're living fulfilling God's purpose and experiencing God's purpose in this life as well. And so the enemy has made his choice uh, to seek our destruction. We must choose to be armored up. And so in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, we see the apostle Paul again. 
He's coming to the end of this epistle. And as he comes toward the end of this epistle, he, has, he begins to point out some things. He's like, look, chapters 1 through 3, and we went through the book of Ephesians, so you can go and you can look at the archives of sermons, and we walk through this whole book. But as a reminder, chapters 1 through 3, those are the indicatives of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us that we did not do for ourselves. That's what chapter 1 through 3 does. It encourages our faith, letting us know about our purpose in God, what Jesus has done for us. A beautiful reminder of that. And then chapter 4, when we went through that, we went through chapter 4, and when we got to chapter 4, I told you that is where the imperatives of the gospel come, the things that we are responsible for. And what does he do? He calls us to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called, with all lowliness, with all humility, right, with, with, with love for one another, bearing with one another in love. And so he communicates this truth, truth to us, and so we go all the way from chapter 4, and we come Come up to this point in chapter 6, and then Paul begins to say, and he, and he wraps it up. He starts saying, finally, he uses that term. He's letting us know, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. We need a strength that is greater than our own. We need a strength that is greater than our own. And so look at verse 10 through 12. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. And so if there is one thing that we know, and again, just thinking about the book of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, if there's one thing that we know about the Christian life, it is this, it is the fact that it is rooted in the reality that God has done something for us that we can never do for ourselves. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of our own works. Are you here? God did for us what we can never do for ourselves. You and I do not have, and I don't know what anybody, you know, again, I don't know what you think, and just because you're sitting here doesn't mean we all think the same, but you may think that you're righteous enough to save yourself. The reality is you're not. You and I do not possess the ability to live holy enough. We don't have the, the, the fortitude in and of ourselves to live a life of righteousness to the degree that we can save ourselves or earn something from God. That is just not a reality. The reality is that Jesus had to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. The, whole, the, the, the last song that we sang about, about the resurrection, it is about what Jesus did for us. This resurrection power that is operating in our lives, it is all about what Christ has done for us. It is what Christ has done in us. And so the same thing holds true when it comes to our daily living. We cannot do it on our own. We need a strength that is greater than our own. We need a strength and an ability that is greater than our own. We need an ability from God that, that, that doesn't come from us that we don't conjure up, but that God offers us. And what does Paul do? He encourages them to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, right? Not our own might, not our own wisdom, not our own ability. He calls us to be strong in the Lord. He calls us to do what? By putting on the full armor of God. That's what he tells us, that we would put on the full armor of God. Why do we need this full armor of God? So that way we will be able to stand in the evil day. Can I tell you something? After Genesis chapter 3, every day has been evil. Are you here? 
After Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, every day has been evil. And until the return of Jesus, every day will be evil. You know what that means? We need to be armored up. Are you here? We need to be in the armor of God every day because every day is going to be a day that evil is, a, there's a potential for you to see evil or experience evil. And the reality is this, is that not every day do we feel evil. Are you here? Not every day do we feel the ill effects of evil in our lives. Some days we walk around with a joy and we, we walk around with a happiness and we walk around with a peace. And there's some days that we celebrate great things and God allows us to experience that by his grace. But I want you to know the enemy is lurking around the corner waiting to hit you with something evil waiting to bring temptation to your life. And you and I have to make a decision that we are not going to do what? That we are going to stand against the wiles. I, that, that word is an important word, that we can resist. Y'all know about resistance. You've been hearing about resistance for the last two years. Come on now. Resisting, right? You resist. You stand against, right? You oppose the opposition. You, you stand firm against the enemy. I mean, this is what we do when we resist. But we cannot resist the enemy in our own strength. So we have to put on this armor that God provides us with. But to stand against his wiles to stand against his schemes, to stand against his methods. The, the, the Greek word methodia is the word there. And, and what that word is is where we get our word methods from. And what we realize is that the enemy is calculated, is he not? His tactics, he is, he, is, he is wise, he is cunning. The Bible said about him in the book of Genesis, right? He was more cunning than any of the other animals. And so what we realize is that the enemy has a strategy. And so what do we see here? We see here, look, I want you to look at this, verse 12. Verse 12 is very important here. It says, for we do not wrestle. We do not wrestle. Now, now here's, here's what you have to understand. When you and I think about wrestling, we think about it in these terms, right? Typically, I don't know about you, I know about me. So there's a couple of ways that I think about wrestling. So first of all, I think about wrestling from when I was a kid, right? When I was a kid, I mean, I loved wrestling, right? I used to watch it on TV. I didn't realize it was fake. Hello. Yeah, I didn't realize that, you know, and I used to, I mean, I used to have these huge teddy bears, right? And I used to jump off my couch onto these teddy bears, and that's how I wrestled. And I wrestled with my brothers. That's when I realized that what was going on on the TV is not real. Hello. Because I was hurting them, and I was like, but why are y'all getting up? Like, I don't, you know, and I, you know, so, like, you know, trying to DDT someone, trying to pile drive my brothers, and you know, that, that wasn't good stuff. But the reality is that that is, you know, it's, 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 and when I say it's fake, I think that there's some realness to it, right? But it's obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, choreographed, right? There's some, there's some things behind that. People know what's going on. We'll say it that way. <clears throat> but then there is another type of wrestling. That's actual real wrestling. So you think about that wrestling, and that's the one where you see the guys with the headgear, and, you know, they're in there, they're in a ring in a circle, and they're like this, and they're going around, and they're trying to do what? They're trying to pin each other, right? And so they get pinned, and, okay, they get a point, and whatever. So that, that's that type of wrestling. I want you to know that the wrestling that is going on here is none of that. The wrestling that is going on here is a wrestling where what, the, what, what Paul is talking about, and they would have understood, they didn't know about WWE. Are you here? They didn't know about this sanctioned wrestling. They knew about wrestling that was like this. It was a wrestling that you wrestled with your opponent until you pinned your opponent. And then once you pinned your opponent, the, 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 the consequence with that pinning was their eyes were gouged, so now they were blinded. 
So this wrestling was for what? It was to pin them. It was to get them into submission and then to gouge their eyes so they could no longer see. So what do we understand? We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we are surely in a wrestling match with an enemy who is not playing games. This is not choreographed. Are you here? This is something that is real. And the enemy wants to do what? Ultimately, he wants to bind us. He wants to hold us down and he wants to blind us. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. And Paul begins to explain to us it's against principalities. It's against powers. It's against weak. And he shows us what we would understand as a picture or, or understanding that there, there is this battle that is going on. And the enemy is very strategic and very organized. Are you here? He shows us that his army and his arsenal against us is real. And so we have to recognize what? That we are to engage in this battle and we cannot just by happenstance hope that we win. The truth is that if you have an enemy like that and that enemy is, for, is forming his alliance against you and his plan against you to destroy you, if you are not walking in the armor of God, then what happens? You will lose. See, I want to encourage you, though, in this because I need you to realize something. When we think about this topic of spiritual warfare, you can write this down. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. I'll preach you that book as well. But in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, and if you go up a little bit further, you'll see that Paul is writing there as well. And what he's writing there, he's communicating to the, to the church of Colossae, and he's letting them know that you, God, has redeemed. He's delivered you. But he goes on and he tells them, he says, but he has made a spectacle of them, right? That, and he starts off and it says that he disarmed powers and principalities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And what is it? The cross. When Jesus died on the cross, I want you to realize this, and you got to get this because I don't want you to walk around fearful. I want you to realize how important the armor is. You are fighting a defeated enemy. Are you here? We, we're not fighting an enemy that has power over your life if you are a believer. But here's what you need to understand. And I, I don't know everybody in this room, and so there's some guests here, and welcome. I don't know if you're a believer or not, but here's what I want you to know. If you are not a believer, the enemy has power against your life. Are you here? The enemy has power against your life if you're not a believer. If you are a child of God and you are walking in disobedience to God, you know what you are doing? You are opening your life to the powers and the influences of the enemy. Are you here? But in the reality of what Jesus has done, he disarmed powers. He disarmed principalities. He overcame the enemy. He has already made them a public spectacle. And you know, when he, when he gives the picture of the public spectacle, it was like a Roman king who walked with his defeated foes throughout the city and showed them, I've beaten them. See, when the kings came back from battle, you know what they did? They walked with their, the people that they had defeated, and they walked them around the city, letting them know, we have conquered them. That is the beautiful picture in Colossians chapter 2 and 15, is that Jesus has conquered the enemy 100%. But we as believers, why does Paul remind us here in the book of Ephesians, hey, we got to be armored up. Because our enemy has made his decision to do what? He's chosen our destruction. We have to choose to be armored up. It's a decision that we make. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we need armor sufficient for the battle we are in. 
We need armor sufficient for the battle we are in. We need an armor that is, that is going to be able. See, we need something that is going to be able to overcome in this, in this fight. Here we see the clearest picture of the details of the armor. In any of the places where Paul speaks about armor, he speaks about it in Romans. He speaks about it in a few different places. But this is the place that he gives the clearest picture. And we have to remember the book of Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. And so the apostle Paul is chained to an armor, to, to, a, to a Roman guard who is dressed like this. And so it's the understanding of most people and the belief of most people that as the apostle Paul is looking at this soldier, he is getting a revelation of what the armor of God is like. And he's making this correlation in this picture, and he's showing them what the armor actually looks like. And so we're told a few things. If you look at verse 13 to verse 17, it says this, therefore, take up. Now, after Paul says we need this armor, to put this armor on, then he tells us to take it up. And I want you to realize this, because the first place where he says to put on the armor, that's a permanence. And what Paul is saying is that our mindset should always be this. We should realize that if we have come to Christ, that we have the, the access to everything that he's telling us to put on. But then there is another conscious side of it, which is the taking up of the armor, is that you and I consciously have to take up this armor, have to make a decision to be part of walking in this victory. The victory is ours because of Christ, but we have to be part of the process. And so he tells us here, he says, take up the whole armor of God for what? That you may be able to withstand, there's that word again, resist, that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done all to stand. So what does this tell us here? It tells us that standing is the posture of believers. Are, are, are you getting that? Standing is the posture of believers. Listen, if you can't stand, you can't walk. If you can't walk, you cannot run. Are you here? If you cannot stand, you cannot fight. Hello? You have to have a fighting posture, right? I mean, if you look at boxing, right, you watch boxing. How do you know someone's going to go down? What do you start looking at? Their legs. Their knees start to buckle, right? The guy's over here, he's like, you know, he's, he's ready to go. And then all of a sudden he starts getting flat-footed. He starts moving like this, and he's not jumping anymore. And then he gets hit. All of a sudden those knees start to buckle. You know there's an issue. He can't stand anymore. And so what does Paul tell us? He says that we are to stand in this armor, that we're supposed to put this armor on. And so he goes through this armor. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the, God, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I want you to notice these first three pieces of the armor, these first three pieces soldiers wore all the time. The last three pieces they put on in the middle of the battle. But the first three pieces were always worn. And so I want you to realize is that when they would put on their armor, they had this thing on under. They had this tunic that was under their armor. And it was loose, right? And so if I was to get into a fight with someone right now, I would probably, I'm just saying like if I was smart, I would probably take off my jacket and maybe take off my shirt. You want to know why? So they wouldn't be able to grab me. And so what they did, obviously, I'm not putting armor on. If I was putting armor on, I would keep this on, and I would make sure that everything was tight. And so the belt of truth is what pulled everything together. It's what pulled all the slack, right? And so when he says for you to gird your loins with truth or put on this belt of truth, what he's doing is he's saying, you know, the belt, right? The belt is what keeps your pants around your waist. Hello, somebody. 
You know, you see some folks. I was in the store the other day, and I saw, I, I thought this was like out of style. I guess not. But anyway, um, I was in the store the other day. I saw this dude. His, he kept pulling his pants up. Like, he's standing in line, and his pants are like dropping down. I'm like, man, I'm wondering, like, if something went down, like, what would he be doing? Like, holding one hand here? Like I, like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even get that. I, I even, listen, before I became a Christian, I really started to understand what a man was. I never wore my pants like that. Are you here? Just, just, just I mean, but you need that, that belt to hold stuff together, the belt of truth. And so what does this mean for us, right? And I want you to get this, in the, and, and I lay this foundationally when we talk about truth, because with everything else, it's the same thing. It's about possessing something and about living something. Are you here? It's about possessing an understanding of the truth, but it's also living truthfully. Are you here? It's about us understanding what the truth of the Bible says. It's about understanding the truth about anything from the biblical point of view. Grasp that, please. It's not just about our version of truth, right? It's about seeing the world and situations through the lens of Scripture. That is the truth. And when we understand the truth of what God says, how God communicates things, then what do we do? We live truthfully. That's how we keep things together. And then he goes on, he says, and having the breastplate of righteousness. And so the next thing that comes on is this breastplate that goes on, and it's strapped on in the back. And I looked up, you know, a picture of it. I don't have a picture for you today. But I looked up the picture, and so there is this whole area that is being protected by this breastplate, right? Why do you think that that breastplate is so important? Because it guards all of the vital organs beginning with the heart. It's about a righteousness, understanding what God says, what God declares is righteous, us possessing that, us living it. The Bible says to guard your heart. How do you guard your heart? You guard your heart by living righteously, by living the way God wants us to live. And then he says, having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. And so the, 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 the Roman soldiers used to wear boots. And again, these boots are super important because they had some spikes in the bottom, which enabled them when they were being pushed back to be able to stand against the pressure. They weren't sliding back. Would you ever try to like, like push something and you didn't have any like on your, on, on your feet? You didn't have any. Um, the, the, as a matter of fact, um, last Sunday I had an incident. I was talking with Pastor Aldo and Brother Lewis by the restroom. And so let me just give you a little thing real quick here. When you're using the restroom and, you know, you're, you, you are in need of the spray, do me a favor. Don't spray the spray like this. Like spray the spray toward the toilet. Amen. There's a reason for this. I was wearing a different pair of shoes, and these shoes were new, and they were kind of slick on the bottom. And so someone came out of the restroom, and, I, and I, I will not say who that someone was, but they came out of the restroom, and I grabbed the door from them. And so I hold the door, and I'm talking smack to Pastor Aldo at this exact moment. And so this was great for him because he got to talk smack back to me. And as I stepped into the bathroom, I slid like I was surfing all the way into the restroom. <laughs> They thought I fell. I almost did. I ain't going to lie. But thank the Lord for the ability to hold my legs together. And I just stood there. But it was tough, right? Because what? Because the floor was slippery. My shoes were slick. And so I couldn't, I, hey, I almost couldn't handle the pressure. Are you here? If someone would have came and jumped on me at that moment, I would have been hurt. Because I wouldn't have been able to defend myself doing a split like that. Hello. <laughs> So the, the, the truth is, like, when you don't have that, that stability in your feet, right, having your feet prepared with the gospel of peace, what is that? It's understanding what Jesus has done for us. He's made peace with us through the cross, did he not? He died for us. 
so we can live our life. And you want to know why I walk in peace? It's not because I'm perfect. It's because he's perfecting me. I walk in peace not because I am right every single day. It's because he is righteous always and he has called me his son. I walk in that peace. It doesn't mean I don't try to live holy. Are you here? Righteousness is about living holy. Walking in that peace is that I walk in the peace of God, and I also share that peace of God with others. And then these other three pieces there, having the shield of faith, right, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts or, or, or the fiery darts of the wicked one. I want you to recognize this shield, right, he says above all in, in this context, that may not be the best translation of those words. He's, it should probably say, with all, taking up the shield of faith. And so this shield was a shield that was about, you know, two feet, two and a half feet wide, four and a half feet tall. And so the soldiers used to hide behind this. But I want you to notice why this is so important. Because our faith is rooted in what? In truth, in righteousness, and peace. The reason why I'm able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one is because my faith is in the truth of God's righteousness and the peace that he's made with me. Are you here? And so now I am able to extinguish when the, when the flaming darts of temptation come, I'm able to extinguish those. I don't have to give into temptation because the truth of God's word tells me what? It says no temptation has, has come unto man except that which is common to all men. And God with the temptation has made a way of escape so that way you are able to bear up under it. That is the truth. And I am able to extinguish the flaming darts of the wicked one and say I do not have to give in to that temptation. When the world system tries to influence me certain ways and those flaming darts come, guess what? I extinguish them because I know what God's righteous standards are and what God has done in me. Therefore, I stand firm in the faith and I'm able to extinguish the flaming darts of the wicked one. When I don't feel so good about whatever, I walk in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I'm not going to have anxiety because of what? Because I can make my request known to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and the peace of God which guards my mind and my heart in Christ Jesus is what begins to happen and that is how we extinguish the flaming darts of the wicked one. When false beliefs begin to enter into our lives and we're attacked with those false beliefs, we extinguish them because we know the truth of what God says. When we get into the battle, we have to have that faith, that shield of faith that comes up. Our helmet of salvation. Again, your head is pretty important, right? would you think not? Wherever your head goes, I mean, you get shot in the head, you're done. Just saying, right? You get clubbed in the head, you're pretty much done. I mean, depending, right? But it's pretty, you know, pretty, pretty close. The helmet of salvation. How many of you think that the enemy attacks your thoughts? Especially with regards to salvation. Now listen, I, I need you to understand something. God wants us, us, his sons and daughters, if you are a child of God in this place, God wants you to be secure in what Jesus did on the cross. Are you here? He wants us to be secure in what Jesus did on the cross for us. He wants us to know that we have been sealed by his spirit, the helmet of salvation. He wants us to be secure in that. Are you here? He wants us to know what God has done for us. He wants us to trust that we should have a security in what Christ has done. Listen, security is a fact. It is truth. Are you here? What Christ has done is true. Assurance, that's a feeling. 
Your feelings are going to go up and down. Someday, listen, some days I feel more saved than others. Are you here? Straight up. I don't know about you. There's, there's some days that I feel like, man, I, man I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not acting like a Christian right now. I'm not living like Christ right now. <clears throat> These thoughts... Because, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older as a Christian, and so I, I can be completely honest. Like, sometimes actions don't get past my thoughts, but my thoughts, I'm like, man, I'm not thinking like a Christian right now. The other day I was driving down the road. I got, I'll confess my sin to you just so that you can pray for me. Driving down the road, we're on, we're on 417. I'm in the car with my daughter, my beautiful girl. She's not here today. She's sick. Please pray for her. As we're driving down the road, we're driving, and, and we had just gotten on onto 417. As we get on 417, um, we're um, driving there, and, uh, and, and, the, and the traffic in that right lane was moving very slow. In case you don't know, the speed limit is 70. It's in case, just in case you don't, it's 70 on that road, right? So don't be afraid. But nonetheless, I'm sitting here for a little bit, and they're like doing 55, and I'm like, hey, man, I got to get out of this lane. <sighs> and so... I look, my opportunity is there, it's clear, and so I hit the gas. Now, mind you, I'm doing 55 miles an hour. I'm assuming the person coming is probably doing like 80, right? I can only move so fast, but nonetheless, that is a passing lane. Are you here? So I hit the gas, and I get into the lane, and this person doesn't slow down, and so they get up behind me, and they start doing this. And so I decided I was going to go. And so I did that, and I was like, what is your problem? And I'm like talking like that. And then he's like, Daddy. And when I did it, he got more upset. So I decided I had to take him some more. And then my daughter proceeds to tell me, Dad, you have the core faith sticker on your car and the forge sticker on your car. I said, well, that was very Christian of me, wasn't it? And just so you know, we happen to be by the red bug exit, so that was really bad. I'm like, I don't know, this person could definitely be from Oviedo. So nonetheless, pray for me. And if you were that person, I sincerely apologize. <clears throat> um, but in that, in that moment, right, I'm not feeling like super Christian, right? But does that mean that God stopped loving me? No, that means I need to repent of a wrong attitude. I need to, but the helmet of salvation keeps me going forward. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, I've challenged you guys, and I'm so grateful for all of you that have jumped on this Bible challenge, right, and going through this with me and just sticking in there. I mean, hey, you're going to have some bad days, some good days. But the reason, again, why we have to be in God's Word is because God's Word is our defense and it is our offense. Are you here? It is the sword of the Spirit. And so you work against the enemy, but you, always, but you also make movement forward. And so for us, well, again, we have to make a decision. The enemy's chosen our destruction. We have to make a choice that we're going to be armored up. The third thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we need to be armored for consistent conquering prayer. We need to be armored for consistent conquering prayer. The armor is for our protection. This armor is for our protection. It's for us to overcome the enemy. It's for us to overcome the onslaught of the enemy. But look at how the apostle Paul ends this. Look at verse 18. And he, goes, he says this, after all of this stuff, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that 
that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The armor is for our protection, but it also energizes our prayers. While we are individually moved, we'll move forward in victory. We must be mindful of other believers. We must be mindful of their battles, and we must be mindful of the collective call to make disciples, which includes preaching the gospel. And what does Paul say? Paul says, pray for me that I can be bold in my proclamation of the gospel. Pray for me that I can say what needs to be said. He said, pray not just for him, but to pray for all of the saints with all prayer, with all supplication, in the spirit, being watchful to this end, right, that we would be able to fulfill God's purpose. Being armored up will cause us to be watchful in prayer. It will cause us to be persevering in prayer, and it will cause us to be mindful of others in prayer. See, when When I start to recognize the battle that I'm in and I begin to engage that battle by being armored up, you know what I start thinking about? I start thinking about your battle. I start thinking about the fact that you are under attack just like I am. I start thinking about the fact, you know, as I was praying here yesterday and praying for you, man, I I see people in this church that are going through things in their life where the enemy is doing everything he can to hinder you from moving forward. He's coming against your family. He's coming against your finances. He's coming against your mind. He's coming against your heart. He is coming against you. And you know what that means to me? It means to me that I need to stand in the gap and pray for you, praying against the works of the enemy praying that you would be empowered, that you would be strengthened. The enemy wants to hinder your destiny. It is my job as your brother in Christ to pray for you. And it's your job as my brother and my sister in Christ to pray for me, that we would fulfill God's purpose. And not that you pray for me, hey, God, just bless Bishop. Hey, God, just be with him. No, 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 but that you intercede, that you pray intensely, passionately, that I, that I don't just mention you in prayer. Oh, yeah, God, bless Pastor Aldo, bless Vanessa. No, 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 but that I intercede for them that I lift them up before God and pray for God's purposes in their their lives that I'm watchful in these things that is what God has called us to do as a body of believers to be armored up and then to pray for others to lift them up and pray that God's purposes that God's plans that God's will would be done in their lives understand again the enemy wants to hinder your destiny He wants to hinder your purpose. He wants to hinder the gospel through your life. You know, the other day we were doing this whole thing with the... with the, with the invitation cards that we're doing. I pray that you guys are doing them. And I had my neighbor behind me. And my neighbor behind me came over and he was asking about something else. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to drop this invitation on him. And I was like, hey, man, I said, um, you go to church? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, so what church you go to? And he was like, so I go to the LDS up the road. So that's the Latter-day Saints if you don't know what LDS is. So he's a Mormon. I was like, oh, okay. So I'm definitely not going to give an invitation right now because he's probably not going to come, right? But you know what I did? I was like, so we continued the conversation. And I didn't just like slam him right there and tell him that, you know, I, I didn't go through all that stuff. But you know what I did do? I began to go and pray for him. I began to go and intercede for him because I said, God, you got to break the stronghold in his life. 
Now I know what my neighbor is. Now I know my neighbor is bound in a false religion. Now I know my neighbor, is, he's in a place where he's deceived. I mean, the guy was in Spain. I'm almost sure he was a missionary in Spain for five years. He's, he's a white guy, and he was actually a pastor of a Spanish ministry because the Spanish is so good for five years within the Mormon church. And so this guy's over youth and, I mean, just influencing, understanding the need that there is. So he's pretty well indoctrinated, and he's pretty well in his whole commitment there. And so what do I do, slam him or do I let God deal with him? Do I let God deal with his heart and pray that doors would open for us to have conversation, that, that God would enable us to have a communication that will be meaningful? Well, for me, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm praying for two things. Number one, I'm praying that God would open his eyes, open his wife's eyes, that God would bring deliverance to them, and that God would give me the opportunity to have a conversation with him to help him come to the truth. Are you here? I'm praying not just that God would touch them, but that God would use me, that God would lead me to have a conversation. But you know why I'm sharing this with you is because I want you to know that we have to be praying not just for one another, but we have to be praying for the success of each other and reaching others with the gospel. See, I don't know who you're going to encounter when you go to hand out an invitation card. I don't know who you're going to talk to, but what I know is this, God does. And you and I need to be strengthened that we can be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Here's my closing question for you. Are you actively armored up? Are you actively armored up? Not laying down waiting for someone to put the armor on you. Hello. But actively armored up. I Listen, I, I, I do this every day. I tell you guys that I roll out of my bed and I get on my knees and pray. And when I do that on a daily basis, I want you to know that I do that. And before I get up off my knees, I put this armor of God on in a, in, in a manner not, listen, I know the armor is on me. But I make a mental note in my prayer, God, I put this armor on because I want to win the battle that I'm going to fight today. I don't know what I'm going to face. I don't know what situation I'm going to run into. But I need to consciously be submitted to the armor of God that you have provided for me. And so we put that armor on. See, we're in a war. We have the weapons to win. The question is, do we understand the desperation of the hour we live in? And are we committed to being armored up to face an enemy who is strategizing our destruction and that of others? Do we understand it? Are we armored up intentionally? Let's all stand on our feet and let's pray together.